welcome all those to Olivet United Methodist Church this morning. We had a truly wonderful Sunday school class. We may be small in numbers, but we're great in quality. At this time, I'm going to have my wonderful praise team introduce the, the next and opening number. Truly a holy and a godly number. Let us turn now in our praise song, Only by Grace, Red Praise, number 121. Red Praise, 121, please. So good to see Martha back. I'm going to be circulating a card this morning. Um, Pastor George Grove is going to be with us, but, but his family is experiencing a lot of illnesses, so if you would sign that card and we'll make sure that they get it.
Jesus. And Chris, I'll give you this card, and if you could see then it's circulated. Our scripture lesson is taken from Ezekiel 33, chapter 33, but we're mainly concentrating on Matthew 16, 18. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come this morning, we come in grateful praise and adoration, and we remember the Reverend George and Rose family as they're experiencing some health difficulties. We thank you for restoring Mike and Tina to our congregation as they've gone through some tribulations the last couple of weeks and have been absent from the worshiping body. We thank you for their return of health. And we pray, Father, for others in our congregation as we had special prayer for our Sunday school class. I recently saw a handsome, handsome young man during what should be a very fantastic period of his life. He did not look happy. In fact, he looked as if he had never known actual joy and peace from the Lord. And the only passions in his face were those of anger and frustration. I looked around and what I had seen in him was not unique to his youth and other youth. People of all ages are looking haggard, angry, beaten, and frustrated. Everyone seems to be struggling just to cope with what is a moment of life. Our generation laughs at God and God's rules for living. They act like God's a spoil sport or an old fuddy-duddy. They don't seem to understand that God's rules are for our benefit and that of our children and our grandchildren. God loves us. But as we stray further from God, we become more and more miserable. How in America's anti-God lifestyle working out? How is the perpetuation of just the talk and not walking? How is America's anti-God lifestyle working out? You go to a mall or even an amusement park, those places are supposed to be fun, yet most of the people there are not even happy. And there are a million, million miles from actual joy, sadness, brokenness, alienation has crept into everything. People walk around like dogs who have been physically abused, heads lowered for the next blow. How did this happen? We live in a time of extraordinary convenience and personal power. Just look at our phones, they act as personal assistants. They, they give us instant, instant access. Our generation may laugh at God and God's rules for living, but how is the anti-God lifestyle working in this so-called world of information? They may make life easier, saving us vast amounts of time, but when do we get to see the benefit of those hours saved and how are we happier? We live in a world of addictions, video games, thought of as merely high-tech toys can quickly turn into obsessions. Alcohol and recreational drugs promise to open up the essence of life itself, yet over time they become the walls of ever-shrinking prison cells. It started 
with calling good evil and evil good. And soon the meaning of everything changed. Our scientific, educational, and medical institutions teach concepts that earlier generations would call crazy. What happened to John Wesley's obedience to scripture, tradition, reason, and experience? People find it harder and harder to think straight about the simplest of things. Someone dies by suicide every 11 minutes in the United States alone. And according to Western Michigan University studies, it's generally estimated that there are 25 attempts for each one death by, by suicide. But even though most attempts fail, twice as many people die by suicide than by homicide across the world. Our society has figuratively wadded up. They wadded up the Bible and they've thrown it in the trash. It is, yet it still contains the words of life and joy. Those listen by way of television and radio and YouTube and other means of communication and through his word, God gives release from bondage. God brings healing to the soul and breathes life into our beings. Even so, an increasing number of churches avoid it, as if it makes them ashamed. More than ever before, we need to proclaim God's word without shame or hesitancy. This parched, drought-stricken world needs streams of living water. I'm reminded this morning, Lord, of John chapter 7, verse 37 through 38, where Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let them come to Jesus and drink. Jesus, and the one who believes in Jesus, as the scripture has said, out of their hearts will flow rivers of living water. Give us that living water today and those by our listening ears today, Lord. At such a time as this, may we say with Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for the gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation everyone who believes. The whole world needs the power of God to salvation, and that, that need has never been more urgent than now. And help us to truly focus on, Father, that that wonderful prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As Mike makes his way up to the pulpit this morning, I challenge you all to turn with me to Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, the 16th chapter, the 18th verse, and I trust that at a later time you have take the opportunity to read um, Ezekiel 33. You'll notice much of what I've said in prayer and what I will be sharing in, in word this morning is occurring before our eyes. Reading from Matthew, the 16th chapter, the 18th verse, and may God bless 
the reading and the hearing of God's word. Peter's declaration about Jesus. And I tell you, you are the Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, will not prevail against it. May God bless the truth of his word. Good morning, brothers and sisters. You know, it's practically improper to take this verse out of the fear of what Peter said in verse 16. Jesus had asked him, who do you say I am? Peter's reply was, you are the Christ, son of the living God. Peter may not have fully understood what he had said, but Jesus affirmed it by saying, Father God has put this on your heart and given it to him. Next, the Lord gives us our scripture for today. It says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the part of hell will not prevail against it. With that answer, the Lord was not speaking to Peter as an individual. The Lord was talking about the answer Peter had just professed in 16. The word the Lord used here for rock is Petra. Petra means enormous rock with, with large massive stones. When he addressed him, Petro, he identified him by name. Petro means small stone. Petro is a small stone which would help Christ build up the enormous Christian church. May never stop growing. An easy way to explain this technically is when he said on this rock, he was referring to himself. He said the word this, on this rock, I will build my church. It doesn't and won't make any sense if taken any other way. Suggesting that Christian church was or even could be built on a human like Peter is blasphemy. That idea comes from the depths of hell. Our Bible explains this more than once. In Ephesians 2.20, it clearly states that Christ is the cornerstone of the church. It shouldn't and cannot logically be taken any other way. Christ is our cornerstone in the church. Peter and other disciples were to continue building the church as Christ's church grows. Peter's and the disciples were to lay that on the foundation that Christ laid. In Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, says no other foundation can be laid on the one or foundation that Christ laid. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it states that Christ is the rock of the church. Lastly, in our verse, Jesus continued speaking and said, and the parts of hell or death shall not prevail against it. This is a promise Jesus made that nothing ever would or could overcome his church. Even with all the evil and conniving powers that Satan possesses, he won't and cannot win. And we as Christians, we're on the winning team. Our God, our champion, will never, ever lose. He can't and he won't. Thank God for that. Amen.
Thank you. A couple months ago, I had spoke to Mike and Kathy about Mike taking on the church service, and Kathy kind of coordinated Mike's. In my absence, Chris and I were at um, Camp Ripley for a few days. I did a main um, services for a veteran there at Camp Ripley, a party a master sergeant that takes care of the grounds and takes care of the cemetery there. Little did I realize that Mike would be so overcome and overworked that he would end up in the ER. <laughs> so I'm warning you, um, Gary and Gavin and, and Mike, next time I happen to be gone, you want to start preparing right now so you don't end up in the ER again. <laughs> Amen. You know, there's many issues, and I would have to honestly tell you that just in the last few months, there's been more people that have been talking to me about church issues. issues, And many people have um, been going to their ministers and clergy. I know the Eight Ways Gateways group, and not only Evangelical United Methodist ministers, but many ministers that are dealing with church issues. They're the, the most re- required and frequent inquiries. And as I mentioned, other leaders tell me the same. What has happened in the last few years um, has accelerated in difficulties. Many people visit church. They visit church, church after church, only to walk away very disheartened. Um, Others are lifetime members of a church and have seen changes, changes in the church that are unrecognizable, spiritually speaking. it's hard for me to even keep track of the changes that are within the United Methodist Church. And at first, members and attendees wonder if they're being a bit too judgmental. But the sad reality eventually sinks in that something has gone terribly wrong. Terribly, terribly wrong. And I believe that nothing could possibly have prepared us for what, what's occurring in the day and the age that you and I live in. My background, I started reading at a very early age. One of the first words that I read was almost up above my crib. And I must have been, you know, three or four years old. And it was John 3.16, for God to love the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in Jesus should not die spiritually, but, but live, should not perish, but live. I started reading the scriptures at a very early age, four or five years old, started school real early, graduated real early, got my four-year degree at the university in a little over two years. I was pre-med and I wanted to get on to med school. Took many credits. Some quarters I took close to 40 credits. Along with working in the school cafeteria, I would have gladly gladly cleaned the plates of the food that came back, but I was never allowed. I had to scrape the plates clean. Immediately after um, working in the cafeteria, I'd go to football practice or other sport practices and martial arts. I was in and track and other, other activities. But nothing could have prepared me for uh, what is occurring today. I grew up in a very fundamental church. When I made a serious decision for Jesus Christ, I 
I not only attended the EUB church, which was formerly the Evangelical United Brethren Church, which merged with the Methodist Church in 68, but I attended the Assemblies of God Church in any religious activity that I could attend. They were churches that delivered verse-by-verse verse messages and had frequent prophecy conferences. And you try to find one like that today. You'll find a few, but they are few and far between. In this, these same churches that I grew up in warned me about the coming apostasy, a coming apostasy. But who, who would have known that it would morph into what we see today. Nothing could have prepared us for what we are living in, the times that we are living in, and our children and our grandchildren. First it was music. First it was music that became the great divider, it seemed like. Nobody minds some guitars and a bass, but, but into the second decade of the 20th century, earplugs. I've gone to churches, Christmas Eve services, where we were handed out earplugs. Earplugs were handed out as one entered the church sanctuary. Some churches opened with a secular song, but they dim the lights and they add some smoky fog and have an atmosphere similar to a local bar. All of this is to enhance the choruses that will be sung two dozen times by somewhat almost hypnotized church members. And I would learn that it was to attract seekers. It was called seeker-sensitive churches. It was a 20th, 21st century phenomenon in turn. And I asked myself, what was wrong with the old ways of, of doing church? Someone made a conscious decision and that we should have a, a new, new way of of doing church. Although many members and attendees agreed there was nothing wrong with the old ways of doing church, terms began being used like purpose, purpose-driven, church growth movement, postmodernism, emergent, the woke, the woke, and more. People started to hear about love and unity and tolerance. We had to be known for what we agree on, not what we disagree on. It didn't make any sense at times when it was non-biblical. Everything and everyone must be accepted. Aberrations must be accepted. Sin, sin must not be mentioned. One of our local churches where one of our pastors that retired and went through seminary with him he happened to mention the word sin in that congregation not too far from here. And, and he was met at the door by a number of the parishioners that said, you don't mention the word sin in our church anymore. People loved having their ears tickled. Is that prophetic? Yeah, that is, isn't it? The Bible says in the last days, people want their ears just tickled. They would be encouraged to feel good, feel good, and be encouraged to build their self-esteem up. Sound doctrine was being set aside, and I saw it early in my ministry when I went to hear Dr. Norman Vincent Peale speak at one time, and, and I thought that I was a little thrilled and moved by what he had to say. 
But there is such an absence of repentance and such an absence of, of sin. Saving the planet then became big news, saving the planet, but not saving the souls. So many denominations today are big on the green movement. The saving of souls was being set aside for the entertainment factor, for social justice causes and for, as I mentioned earlier, saving the planet. It seemed that many in the church no longer cared that so many were on their way to hell. And they didn't want to even assume that a spouse was lost or children or grandchildren may be lost, that they need to make a decision for Christ. What an offensive, intolerant thought we were taught. And clearly sound doctrine will separate and divide, so we must tread lightly, lightly in that, that area. Relevant, relevant issues have vanished. Pulpits have become afraid to talk about voting, voting biblical, biblical, biblical values. Even the suggestion of putting in biblical values in a bulletin became offensive to even church members. I guess they'll have to pay the cost come judgment day. When it came to issues like Bible prophecy, the silence became almost deadening. Pulpits, as I have said, have become afraid to talk about voting biblical values. It seemed like there, there was an 11th, 11th commandment came into the church, thou shalt not offend. Taking a stand was, was clearly over. People were told that it was divisive. Although rock music in the church apparently was not, millions are going to be left behind at the rapture of the church. But there are no warnings about this going out from hardly any church nowadays. Instead, pulpits seem to dispense messages that talk about your best life, your blessed best life on this broken, corrupt planet. Many times after church, as I get home, I turn the television on and I happen to hear of a local church that has a competing television station, large Presbyterian church. And on that particular Sunday, the message was coming out, coming out. And they really bent scripture. They took the scripture where the, the Christians need to um, be more apparent in their beliefs, in their conversation, in their speech. They need to give more testimonies. And they, they bent that scripture to push purple pride. And in that particular Sunday, they had purple in their sanctuary. And, and they had two of their own personal gay ministers. Gay ministers give proclamations on how it was so important for people to come out and profess their lifestyle. Now that's just a short explanation as to why many emails and letters pour into my ministry and, and others asking about how they might find a, a very healthy, relevant church in their neighborhood. Folks, we've, we've come to a fork, a fork in the road. And which way do we go? As a ministry leader and radio and television, and as we share the message, I was confronted with the fact that, that I had two choices. 
I could overlook this, these trends or expose it, or I could take the warnings of Ezekiel 33, the watch people, the watchmen, be the watchman on the wall very seriously, and I determined to confront this, these false teachings that were headed, headed on and, and head them head on and, and tell the truth about it. And I began my, my research by tracing the history of, of many of these false doctrines and these reckless church movements going back to the early 1900s to the present and from the mystical madnesses such as the so-called Christian, Christian so-called yoga or the experiential movement of the new apostolic reformation. It seemed that the wolves were prowling around amongst the flock. Ecumenism, ecumenism, sword and Protestants began embracing Catholicism. Even the so-called prominent charismatic minister, Kenneth Copeland, announced that the reformation was over and featured a top rep from the Vatican saying we were all Catholics again. We were all universalists again. And I observed something called the laughing, the laughing revival, and I concluded that it, it really wasn't so funny. In fact, it was dangerous, dangerous. The odds, the odds aren't great. I could go on and on. You can see that the odds of you having a healthy, well-balanced, scriptural church, biblical or slim, but they are out there. If you have one, you should thank God for it daily. If you don't, you know that you are not alone. Millions visit nearly every potential church in towns and cities and walk away perplexed and heartbroken. Are they looking for perfection? A few may be, but most are not. They just know that today's church would most likely not be recognized by their parents, and certainly not by their grandparents. Jesus said that the gates of hell, the very gates of hell, would not prevail against the church, according to Matthew, the 16th chapter, the 18th verse. And having said that, the gates of hell are, are trying like crazy, trying like crazy to penetrate the church, to change the church. One of the things I miss is conversations with Jay Samuel Sr. at the door and in discussing the messages and the recurrences of his father as a United Methodist pastor and missionary. Having said that, the gates of hell are trying like crazy to penetrate the church change it, change its message, change its purpose, distort the gospel, and wear down, wear down the Christians and the eager followers of Jesus Christ. I listened to a minister this morning, and he said that either you're a saint or you ain't. Maybe the saints don't always act saintly, but as a saint, you need to be committed to Jesus Christ and stand for his truth and wear down the very saints pastors included. You need to pray for our pastors today, not only the pulpits, but the pews. Christ died for the church, and we cannot give up on the church. A heavenly, endless church service awaits us in all eternity. 
with a celestial choir and and an orchestra. The preaching will also be out of this world. Here a few weeks ago, I stayed and worshiped with our newfound brothers and sisters in Christ, the gathering. They had about 20 minutes of of music and there's about an hour of preaching and I enjoyed it. I think Kathy was here for a short part of it too. The preaching will also be out of this world when we get to heaven. We'll all be one denomination. The bickering will be over with. We won't insist any longer on our own way. We'll finally be one in the Lord. Father, this morning, help us to search our hearts. Do we actually believe in a hell to evade and a heaven to gain? In a very historic move, Israel has just signed a deal with the European Union to export natural gas through the year 2050. This is very important for several reasons because Israel has efficiently now become an energy superpower, threatens Russia. Israel's government appears to have collapsed with a, with a fifth election up ahead. And on June 13, 2021, Mr. Bennett was sworn in as Israel's 13th prime minister. Exactly one year and one week later, Bennett is done. And we're reminded that so goes Israel, so goes the world prophetic events. The countries that support Israel shall be blessed, and the countries that curse Israel shall be cursed. Help us, O Lord, to be pro-life, pro-family, pro-faith, pro-Bible, pro-Israel. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let us declare our faith in Jesus Christ by acknowledging that we've sinned and we need to repent. That if my people, if my people, which are called according to my name, shall give up their wicked ways, then I will hear their prayers from heaven and answer them. Let us join together by repeating these words. Dear Jesus, I repent. Help me to do your will, O Lord, to seek your life. Come into my heart and life. Be my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Draw me to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As the ushers wait upon you this morning for your tithes and offerings, let us turn to our offertory prayer in our bulletins. And if you join with me in this offertory prayer, greater creator God, who brought forth the world as your vineyard, provided every needed resource, and ask only that we bear good fruit. As we give our offerings, remind us again of the fruit you desire. Justice and righteousness are the ones your prophet Isaiah suggests. Forgive us for the times when our offerings have fallen short and when the only fruit you've received is our own self-centeredness. Help us bear the fruit that brings you joy. In the name of your Son, our teacher and Savior, we pray. Amen. Abide with me is our offertory hymn. As you turn in your purple hymnals to hymn number 700, verses 1, 3, and 5. 1, 3, and 5.
Holy God who gives and then gives more. We thank you for the offering time of not only of our time, our talents and our treasures. We pass the plate and, and we've made it possible to place a gift of money to sustain the mission of your church here and around the world. We're reminded that we have other gifts as well, not noted on our bank statements and, or our balance sheets. You've given each of us spiritual gifts, not to make us rich, but to make the world richer, more compassionate and more just, because we were here. Open our eyes to these gifts and where and when you would have us use them. In the Savior's name we pray. Amen. joys of the fall season as we're kind of caught between being warm and cool. And I like the fan, but I can't always concentrate. I can't always hear. And I thought Kathy says, what about my dog? And I thought, do you even have a dog? <laughs> Are there any announcements that we need to be clarified? The 16th. 47 short years. Oh, man. Amen. Let's raise our hands towards the Smiths. Father, we just bless the Smiths. As they've been such a blessing to all of it, bless them too in return. We know they've went through some uncertain times, but Father, we know that though the ark seems to be disheveled and the difficulties arise, you still allow us to float with Jesus. And we thank you, for, Father, the tides may come against each and every one of us, fires and catastrophes, but Lord, you're, you're the author and finisher of our faith. Bless the Smiths and bless us now as we go forth. In Jesus' name, amen. 